Ready? All right, let's finish this amazing book off. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll look at verses 10 through 24 in our final message from the handbook of the Christian faith. Now, some actually see this as the third section of Ephesians. We have noted that chapters 1 through 3 covered the great doctrines of the church, or that which we believe. And chapters 4 through 6, uh, verse 9, covered the duties of the Christian faith, or how we are to behave. And this final section now covers the subject of spiritual warfare. Is there a war going on right now? Listen, you're in it whether you know it or not. You're in it whether you like it or not. We are engaged in spiritual warfare, and we would do well to recognize that as some have divided uh, Ephesians into the categories of belief and behavior, these are the very two categories that we are engaged in spiritual warfare over. And it's always been true, even back to the garden, if we realize from Genesis 3.1, Satan began attacking the word of God where the serpent, who's the serpent? Satan was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said? He's questioning the word of God. You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Satan has always attacked the word through outright questioning like he did in the garden or simply trying to twist the scriptures like he did with Jesus in the 40 days of temptation. He constantly attacks what it is that we believe and get this, most of the world is on his side. Is what we believe under attack today? Are we being attacked because of what we believe? Absolutely. Think about what Satan did next in the garden after he questioned belief in God's word. He then immediately went after Adam and Eve's behavior. In 3, 4 to 5 of Genesis, the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Is Satan the father of all lies? Yes. Well, here's a whopper right in front of us. You know what he was saying to Eve? He was saying two things to her. He's saying, first, you can do whatever you want without consequence. You don't need to worry about it. God said you're going to die. You're not going to die. Don't sweat it. Do what it is you want to do. Secondly, what he was saying, or at least implying, is that doing what you want is better than doing what God wants. That's happening today as well. Amen? He's still using those same tactics today because the fact is, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And he hasn't changed. He's still at it today. And Paul has thus far told the church what we are to believe, followed by how we are to behave. And Satan has sought to infiltrate the thinking of Christians through threats. Are we being threatened today? Through intimidation. Are we being intimidated today? And the doubts created by it have been very effective on many Christians. And thus Paul's conclusion of the handbook of the Christian faith is appropriate in that he addresses the subject of spiritual warfare against what we believe and against how we behave. Now, there are some in the church today who don't believe the whole Bible is the inspired word of God, which the Bible says it's the inspired word of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Amen. It's breathed by the Holy Spirit. There are others in the church today uh, who do not believe that there are any behavioral changes that are necessary within the Christian life. They're called antinomians. They are against any form of law that a Christian ought to follow. We made the point that Paul used the fifth commandment to establish the behavior of children during the New Testament age. Living according to God's law makes your life better. Amen. Right? Now... Both of these things are the results of Satan doing what he has always done, and that is questioning the word of God and trying to drag God's people into behaviors that deny that they are new creations in Christ. Now, hermeneutically or through interpretation, this might be a bit of a stretch, and I admit it openly, but it's not heresy. I don't teach heresy. Uh, come on, you better do better than that. I don't teach heresy. But since Colossians tells us all things were created by, for, and through Jesus, couldn't we say that Adam and Eve were new creations? I mean, quite literally, they were new creations. They were brand new. And they had a personal relationship walking in the cool of the day with God. And what happened? Immediately Satan starts attacking what they believe. Immediately Satan starts attacking how they behave. And he's been at it ever since. So 
What do we do in response to the spiritual warfare we are engaged in? Now, our answer is actually a title, or our answer and title is actually taken from our text, kind of. It's taken from some Greek manuscripts, and our verse is open with the English word finally. And the word finally in the Greek is, is loipon, and it literally means something that remains, or there's more to follow, if you will. It's an adverb. It's translated in some manuscripts as henceforth, and it's translated in other manuscripts as what is our title today, and that is from now on. From now on is our title. Now, Paul is saying to us, to the church at large, now that you understand what you believe, now that you understand how you are to behave, from now on, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Since you know what it is you believe, since you know how you are to behave, from now on, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And the balance of the letter is going to tell us how to do that, and it will close with a very typical Pauline salutation. Now, we're going to find three things we need to be doing from now on. Some of them we already know. Some of them maybe we even implement. But these things will enable all of us to be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might, at such a time as this. Does anybody need to hear this? Yes. Uh, just was thinking that myself. This is probably good timing uh, in light of all that's going on today and the lunacy we are experiencing in our world today. I was telling Terry, I read an article this morning that uh, some expert, you know, my mind, whenever I hear that word, my seventh grade mechanical drawing teacher, I can still, I can't remember his name, but I remember what he said. He said, listen, if you think you're an expert, you just need to remember that in math, X is the unknown, and spurt, by definition, is a sudden drip. So if you're an expert, you're an unknown sudden drip. Well, an unknown sudden drip said that pretty soon the oceans are going to rise five feet and uh, just all kinds of hundreds of thousands, even millions of homes uh, are going to be underwater. My mind goes back to Genesis 8-2 where the Lord said, seed time and harvest, winter, summer, all that. I'm in control of how much it rains, and I'm going to watch over the earth, and these things aren't going to change until there's a new heaven and a new earth. So, listen, I'm not worried about climate change. It's already changed from uh, summer to fall. It's going to change again on December 22nd into winter, right? So, how do we survive in such a time as this, and how do we more properly advance in such a time as this. And we'll find our answers in the balance of Ephesians. So would you stand with me and read our first set of verses from Ephesians 6. We'll look at 10 through 12 and finish the chapter before we're done. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And Lord, I pray this morning that our takeaway from our time would be a boldness and a willingness to engage the adversary with a better understanding of what you have called us to and reminded us of through these incredible chapters we've encountered and now these closing verses teach us how to engage the enemy, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, two things drawn to our attention immediately, and they are that the power of his might is available to us. The power of his might is available to us, and the armor that we're to put on, it's not our armor, it's God's armor. And we're told in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5, that though we walk in the flesh, we do not, what's the next word? I'm sorry, what? War, according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now, we need to remember Satan cannot snatch us from the Father's hand. Satan cannot separate us from the Father's love. And that means the wiles, the word wiles, means methods of the devil that we need to stand against are not against Satan ripping us off from our relationship with God, but rather rendering us ineffective by getting our minds 
emotions and hearts to wander away from what is that perfect will of God for our lives and the associated blessings intended for us to enjoy because we know him. I think it is absolutely amazingly awesome to be a Christian. It's not a humdrum existence. I've lived a humdrum existence, and that is an existence apart from God. That's an existence doing your own thing, doing whatever pleases yourself. That's a humdrum existence. Listen, if you want to live an exciting life, just start toting the Bible around everywhere you go. (laughs) Things are getting real exciting right away. I remember when I first started teaching, um, you know, I was involved in worship worship ministry for many years, and... uh, I just, I felt God calling me to teach, and I, somebody told me, well, hey, pray he opens the door. I did. Uh, he sent me to a boys' home for 54 teenage sex offenders, and that's where I started teaching. And some weeks I'd show up, and the place was on lockdown because there had been a big fight. Other weeks there were 35 kids there. Sometimes there were two. And there was one night where the place was pretty packed, and, and there were some gangbangers in there. And two of them uh, had made it their job to try and intimidate me. Well, guess what, boys? (laughs) Boys, you're going to have to pick on somebody else. And uh, these boys were always harassing me. And uh, so finally one night I said, you know what? Some of you guys think you're real tough. You're not tough until you can carry around a Bible publicly. That's what a tough guy can do. The rest of you are just a bunch of wimps uh, who are hiding behind this uh, persona that you're trying to portray. You want to be a man, pick up a Bible and tote that around, and we'll see how tough you are. And that's what, (laughs) I guess I'll just tell stories today. You know, I told you this before. One time when I was uh, still in the lumber industry, my phone rang one morning. I just walked into my office. I picked up the phone, and it was one of those, hold it like this because of the loud voice on the other end that was screaming profanities at me, and it was a guy who owned the company. And I don't know why he was so raging mad, but then I found out he saw a bumper sticker on a truck that said, real men love Jesus. And he was calling me every name under the sun. That's not what a real man does. And uh, I very respectfully said, uh, well, yes, actually it is. Uh, Real men do love Jesus, you know. Anybody, as it's been said, can float downstream, right? Takes a real person to stand up especially against the flow of things happening in our world. But we need to remember, we may walk in the flesh, but we don't war against the flesh. And it's the power of his might that we walk in, and the armor that we wear is his. And listen, Satan can't separate us from God. So he goes after our effectiveness. He goes after the things that we are blessed with. Hasn't God given us every spiritual blessing in heavenly places? He's after those things. He's after what he can do. And that's why James would write in 1, 2 to 8, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Raise your hand if you always do that. I better not see any hands up. Now, we don't always fall into, we don't like trials, do we? Except the end. That's the only part we like of any trial. But James says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, without reservation or holding back, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no what? Doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded, unstable in all of his ways. That's what Satan is after. He wants to get in our heads, cause us to doubt the goodness of God, and become unstable in all of our ways. And listen, contrary to what many teach today, the blessings of life are not all material. Listen, God is not anti-money, right? Abraham had great possessions. David had great possessions. Solomon had great possessions. God is not anti-money. Money is inanimate. It is not, and I've heard, listen, don't ever quote uh, Timothy by saying money is the root of all evil. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, and many have been pierced through with sorrows because of that love. And contrary to what people teach today, 
this isn't what we're after in life. We're not after accumulation, but we're after infiltration of a lost and dying world. And the best things we get from God are spiritual, like the ability to stand against the methods of the enemy arrayed in God's armor. What a life! Arrayed in God's armor, empowered by God himself. Now, we've already read that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, and now we know why. Because our enemies are spiritual. And the devil's strategies cannot be overcome without divine help. God's people must employ every facet of the strength God gives in defeating our enemy, which is Satan and his minions. Now, listen to this foundation from Isaiah 59, 17 for what we'll read in our middle section. It's a messianic passage, speaking of the Holy One of Israel, our Savior Jesus. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation, where? On his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with a zeal with zeal as a cloak. We need some zealousness today. We need some passion today. And these messianic verses remind us that the Lord came as the Holy One of Israel. He came as our Redeemer for the purpose of doing battle with Satan. And he put on righteousness as a breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. And if he did it, we should do it. Now... There are some modern commentators who see principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spiritual hosts of wickedness as being representative of the world system and the corrupt human powers that operate within it. Now, I won't deny that there are corrupt human powers, and a lot of them, and some fools in places of power as well. But this is easily refuted by the fact that none of them are in or from heavenly places, which means the spiritual realm. Now, the majority interpretation of verse 12, which I would agree with, is that we're given a glimpse of the hierarchy within the satanic realm, the same type of thing we find within the divine angelic realm. In Daniel 10, 13, we're told of the prince of the kingdom of Persia, one angel describing to Daniel what had happened. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now we know within God's kingdom there are archangels, there are cherubim, there are seraphim, and here Daniel is told of a prince of Persia. This prince is a fallen angel. He's likely a chief prince parallel to Michael, only to the kingdom of fallen angels. Now, I believe that where the aforementioned modern interpretation misses the mark is by not recognizing that the world system that is full of of corrupt humans is being driven by demonic forces. And that's what we're seeing today. They have set up strongholds and places of power all over the world, and our mighty in God weapons are capable of pulling them down. Now, why aren't we? If that's true, and it is, then why are we seemingly seeing evil advance in the ways that it is seemingly unchecked? Well, let me answer with a cliche. The church has been bringing a knife to a gunfight. That's why we're seeing what we're seeing today. The church has been bringing a knife to a gunfight. And listen, according to the Institute for the Studies of American Evangelicals, there are between 90 and 100 million evangelical Christians in the United States today. That's 30 to 35% of the U.S. population claims to be an evangelical Christian. And listen this morning, are you ready? Millions of Christians are praying against abortion when millions of Christians ought to be acting against abortion. Do you know how you act against abortion? You tell people about Jesus. That's how you act against abortion. Listen, we need to understand what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2. By the way, there's a pretty strong likelihood I'm going to get fired up today. (laughs) 2 Corinthians 2, 13 to 14, Paul says, These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But, listen in now. The natural man, the person who's not born again, the unregenerate person, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their what? Foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Listen, 
we're going to do much more to fight abortion by telling them Jesus loves them, died to save them, than we are telling them abortion is murder. Do you know why? They don't have a moral compass. They have no spiritual discernment whatsoever. And they can only understand the wrongness of it by meeting the one who is the way, truth, and life. And that's how we fight the issues of our day. And the capacity to see the evil of abortion is spiritual. And the only way to have spiritual discernment is to be born again. And the only way to be born again is by hearing the word of God. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And they're not going to hear it if we don't preach it. Now, our first point, and maybe I'll take a drink of water and I'll slow down a little bit. Our first point, now please listen to this and understand it. And we will explain it. From now on, you ready? From now on, since we know what we believe, and since we know how to behave, And we are to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. From now on, stop asking God to do for us what he wants to do through us. Stop asking God to do for us what he wants to do through us. Listen, is the armor automatically put on us when we're born again? No. Otherwise, why would Paul say, put on the armor? Listen, there's too many half-dressed Christians running around out there without the full armor of God on. Now, we have to put it on. And Matthew Henry, the 17th century uh, commentator, wonderful uh, man of God, wrote some wonderful commentaries. He wrote in the 1700s, 18th century. Um, He said this, and this has always stuck in my mind. Fervent prayer is to be followed by diligent action. Fervent prayer is to be followed by diligent action. I like how Billy Sunday took it down to street level when he said this. When you ask for a house, pray with a saw in one hand and a hammer in the other, answer your own prayers. In other words, don't just sit around and wait to see what God does. Get out there and be a part of it. Answer your own prayers. And the church has been bringing a knife to a gunfight long enough. It's time to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. The battle is spiritual. Our weapons are too. But our spiritual enemies are actual and they actually do not only exist. They act and they do what their master says. A recent Gallup poll reported there are 18 million LGBTQ people in the U.S. That's less than 5% of the total U.S. population. Who's getting their way in this country right now? The 5% or the 35%? The 5%. You know why? Because they're all at it all the time promoting their cause. What is our cause? Our cause is the cross of Christ. It is the cross of Christ that is going to change our country. It is Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life that is going to turn things around in our country. Not convincing spiritually dead people of things they're never going to believe until they're born again. We need to be preaching Jesus in this country. Amen? 18 million promote their cause all day, every day, while the church sits around asking God to do what he told them to do. And from now on, we need to take on the principalities and powers by doing what God told us to do and quit waiting for him to do it. He's already given us the instruction, go to the world and preach the gospel. All right. I think it was a compliment after first service. Somebody said, thanks for that kick in the pants this morning. So... We all need it, right? 13 to 17. And Paul goes on to say, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench some of the fiery darts, most of the fiery darts, all the fiery darts of who? The wicked wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, our first point is endorsed by what we read in verse 13. 
we have to put on the armor of God, and then we have to take up the armor of God, which indicates an offensive position or putting ourselves in a more aggressive posture, so to speak, telling us that the armor isn't just protective, it's also proactive. Now, some say it seems likely that Paul, having been chained to a Roman guard for so long, had plenty of time to examine their apparel, and he used that to paint the picture we see here. And I suppose that's possible, but I don't think it's likely that Roman guards were in full battle armament when they're taking care of an old man who's living in a house getting visitors awaiting trial. It's likely Paul just knew about the Roman army and their fame and how they uh, conquered their adversaries, and I'm sure he had seen plenty of them in his missionary travels. Now, the Greek verb translated take up is associated with military terminology, and it indicates or pictures the hurried response of a soldier told to prepare himself because the battle has begun. That's what take up means. It, it pictures the hurried response of a soldier told to prepare himself because the battle has already begun. In other words, Paul is saying the evil day has arrived. Engage the enemy quickly. And then he says how? Stand with your waist girded with truth. Now, all the pieces of armor and the ability to stand are connected to the belt, which is the belt of truth. It was buckled or simply strapped around the waist. It held the armor in place, allowing the soldier the freedom of movement without worry about getting entangled by his own garments or hung up in his own armor. The sword was fastened to it. The tunic and breastplate were held in place by it. And for a soldier, this would have been a sturdy leather belt that would have been able to hold all of these pieces together. And again, a messianic passage from Isaiah tells us in 11.5, righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. Is Jesus the way? Is he the truth? Is he the life? He's all those things. And in this messianic reference, Isaiah makes a connection for us through the belt between true faith and righteousness, which again illustrates the role of truth in our lives and how everything else is dependent upon it. And the entirety of God's word is truth. And if you mess up God's word, you're going to have a messed up belief system and behavior that matches it. And next, Paul mentions the breastplate of righteousness, which slipped over the head to protect both the front and back of the soldier and was tied together with leather, leather uh, laces at the side to pinch it together to protect a, a sword thrust or an arrow flying through the air, uh, piercing the side of their armor. And it too would be made of thick leather. Or if you were uh, fortunate enough to have the money to buy one, you could have a bronze or a metal breastplate meant to protect the organs and obviously among them would be the heart. Now, in 2 Timothy 2.22, we're told to flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those, in other words, this is the behavior of all saints, with those who call on the Lord out of a what? A pure heart. Flee is an instruction. And instruction requires personal action. And it tells us, therefore, we need to take offensive measures to guard our hearts against the enemy's efforts to draw us into fleshly defilements. Now, Paul mentions shodding your feet with the gospel of peace. Are our feet getting stepped on today? Uh, the enemy is sure trying. And shodding the feet is a picture of readiness. And the word shod means strap them on. And this is what would happen with the Roman footwear of the soldiers. Uh, the troops wore and had a huge advantage over opposing armies because of what they wore on their feet. Their boots were made out of leather. And they strapped them around the legs. The sole had metal studs that offered them stability for long marches and also stability in hand-to-hand -hand combat or firm footholds. And the Roman army, because of their footwear, marched twice as fast as any other army, which gained them the element of surprise over many of the opposing forces. Now, our feet are to be shod with the gospel of peace. Therefore, we have an advantage over other armies. It also grants us a peace in our hearts and minds. In Christ Jesus. And then Paul says, above all, or most importantly, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench 
all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now, the shield Paul mentions here, the Roman shield, was actually shaped like a door in your house and was about the same size. And it was not uncommon for Roman soldiers to set up a perimeter with the doors in the sand touching edges that would allow them to be protected from an aerial assault of fiery arrows launched by the enemy. The ones in the middle would hold the doors up over their heads, and it was basically an impenetrable force that would protect them. Each one of the shields were covered in leather, and when the arrow would hit that was on fire, the leather would smother the flame, and also the door, the wood portion, would protect them from being penetrated and wounded by the adversary. The helmet mentioned here, again, would be made of leather, or again, if you could afford it, it would be bronze. And there's a verbal attachment to our salvation that tells us that the enemy is going to try and get in our heads as a means to bring about confusion, specifically about the security of our salvation. And thus our minds need to be protected by the fact that our salvation is secure in Jesus Christ, who is the author and finisher of our faith. Now, Paul mentions taking up the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. All of it is the Word of God. Not just the parts people like. Not just the parts culture will accept. The entirety of the Word of God is truth. Amen? Now, from putting on to taking up, here's the application for you and I this morning as those engaged in spiritual warfare. Now listen again, this is going to need some explanation. From now on, now that we know what we believe, And now that we know how to behave, from now on, we need to see ourselves as the devil's enemies, not just him, ours. We need to see ourselves as the devil's enemies, not just him, as ours. Why? Because if all you see is the devil as your enemy, you're going to constantly be on the defensive. And yet here we are told to take up these weapons and go on the offensive and march against the enemy. And listen, Satan has weapons, but they're not mighty in God. They're no match for our weapons. Satan has angels, but they can't possess a Christian. Satan can harass and even oppress our flesh, but he is powerless against our saved souls. And in 1 John 4, 2-4, John says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit. Say every spirit. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this, saying that Jesus has not come in the flesh as deity, is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already where? In the world. world. You are of God. Listen, here's the point. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Who's them? Spirit of Antichrist in the world. Listen. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Listen, if the church ever starts believing this again, the devil's going to be the one on the run instead of the church. And listen, from now on, we need to see ourselves as the enemies of Satan, not just him as ours. And listen, we don't just simply lock our shields together and hide hoping he can't hit us. We're the ones going after him. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Listen, he's powerful, but he ain't nothing compared to our God. And it's our God whose army or whose armor we're putting on. And it's his weapons that we're using and employing. Now, 18 to 24, and we'll finish off this great book. I don't think I have enough strength left to do any more verses anyway. (laughs) Verses 8, oh, I got a lot more, believe me. Pick it up in 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplications in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, and for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. But that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you 
whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Somebody say, Amen. Amen. Now, I wanted to read Paul's closing salutation because as of right now, we have all read the whole book of Ephesians together. Amen. Now, our focus is going to be on verses 18 to 20. Now, listen in. Prayer is not part of the armor of God, but it is essential to its use. Ask Joshua. Remember when he went and attacked Ai and he didn't pray? What happened? 36 Israelites lost their life. Now, we should always be praying, amen? And to be armored up and not prayed up makes you dangerous, not effective. Uh, We need to be prayed up and armored up, amen? Now, Paul opens with a rather interesting phrase. He says, praying always with all prayer. Paul used to work for the Department of Redundancy Department, apparently. Now, praying always with all prayer. Now, what that implies is, is that there are different kinds of prayers. Just like there's different kinds of praise. Think about it. You can sing praises. You can say praises. That's what hallelujah means, praise the Lord. You say hallelujah, you're praising the Lord. You can have bold and loud praise. You can praise him silently from your heart. You can offer joyous praise from the mountain. And you can offer solemn praise from the valley. And it's possible, some say, that Paul was referring to praying in tongues, but you can't force that into the text, but it is possible. A supplication simply means fervent prayers. Perseverance means persistence, persistently praying fervent prayers. Now, Paul adds his personal request for prayer, and the reason for it will uh, help us set the context for our last point. It's paralleled, I believe, to when the church began, and it's Uh, Worth noting that Paul was still praying this way or asking for prayer this way uh, later down the road in church history. In Acts 4.31, we're told when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was what? Shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with what? Boldness. Boldness. That's exactly what Paul was praying. Pray that I speak the word of God with boldness. Now listen, our first point did not negate the need for prayer, nor did it diminish the power of prayer, but it points to what James wrote of, that faith without works is dead, just like prayer without action. We don't just simply pray and then sit around and see what happens. And so too, when we pray, we need to act on the answer, not just wait for God to work out what he told us to go do. And when Peter and John prayed with the church after they told them what happened, When the Jewish council said, didn't we tell you not to preach in this man's name? And here you fill the city with your teaching. And uh, Peter said, well, you guys decide whether we ought to obey God or men. And when they came back and reported to the church what had happened, there was a prayer meeting. What was the end result of the prayer meeting? They spoke the word of God with boldness. Listen, the prayer meeting was shaken, not so they could say, man, that was some kind of prayer meeting. It wasn't shaken so they could say, wow, what an experience we had at the prayer meeting. Or that, wow, that was powerful. We really felt the Spirit moving even though they did. The end result of the prayer meeting is they got out there and preached Christ and Him crucified. They spoke the Word of God with boldness. And listen, that's what we need to be praying for today because that's exactly what Paul is praying for. And he makes his request as an ambassador in chains. Now, Paul says, be watchful to this end, meaning pay attention to praying always with prayer and supplication with persistency. And the word watchful, directly translated, means no sleeping, to be sleepless. It can mean to be attentive and to be ready, and that probably fits the context better. But the truth is, this brings us to our closing observation from the handbook of the Christian faith. And listen, it's simple You already know it. You're going to hear it. And then we're going to dissect it a bit. You ready? From now on, we should pray and live like we're children of the king. From now on, we should pray and live like we're children of the king. You see, sometimes we have a tendency to forget who we are in Christ. 
and that being in Christ as a new creation and having him in us who is greater than he is who he who is in the world is not just some quaint Christian saying, it's true. It's reality. And that's why Peter would write in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Why? That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And Paul would write to the church at Philippi in 4.19-20, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by who? By Christ Jesus. Now, to God and to the God, our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, here's why our final point was so obvious and simplistic. Think about it. If our prayer life is approached like that of an unwelcome beggar encroaching upon God's time, it's going to look and sound a lot different than the prayer life of someone who knows and believes that God loves hearing from them and is for them and is on their side through all things. Now think about this. If we live life unsure if God is really for us and don't trust that all of his word is true, then when we face trials and tribulations, doubts are going to creep in. Doubts create uncertainty. Uncertainty causes despair. But if we live like, if God is for me, who can be against me? We're going to face opposition and tribulation with a whole different attitude than the one whose life is filled with doubts. And we know this is true because of what we're reading today. Paul, listen, Paul, are you here? Paul did not let the chains change his status in his mind of being an ambassador for Christ. He was chained to a Roman guard, an 18-inch chain on either hand for two years, and he still saw himself as one chained to Christ as his ambassador. Listen, Paul was getting ready to stand trial before one of the most wicked men in the history of mankind, Caesar Nero. A man who burned his own city down and then blamed the church. So what is Paul praying for? Or what is he asking for prayer for? Oh, please pray that Nero spares my life. Please pray that the trial is called off. No, he's praying that he be bold in telling a wicked man the gospel of Christ and that he needed to be saved. And Paul says, listen, now that you know what to believe and how to behave from now on, don't keep asking God to do something he wants to do through you. Just get it done. And remember, the armor you put on and take up is God's armor. And principalities and powers and spiritual hosts of wickedness are not the evil equals of God. The devil is your enemy, but don't forget, you're his too. Go on the offensive, because he cannot prevail against the church. Isn't that what Jesus said? The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And listen, when was the last time you were attacked by a gate? Doesn't happen, right? That means when you go to kick the gates of hell down, the gate cannot prevail against you. You can kick the gate down and go in and rescue those who are drawn towards death and hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. This is what God has called us to do. And listen, don't forget you're His. Don't forget what He died to make you. Remember who you are as a new creation in Christ Jesus. In John 1.12, we're told, As many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in His name. We're God's children. The world likes to say, we're all God's children. Uh, no, no, we're not. You become God's child when you believe in Christ. You're not God's child. You're God's enemy, according to Colossians 1.21, before you came to know him. As many as received him, he gave them the right to be called children of God. We're God's children. Hang on. Our father is the ancient of days. That's one of my favorite biblical titles, the ancient of days. Man, I wish I could talk like... 
James Earl Jones. Because that's how that needs to be said. The Ancient of Days. What a title. Listen, he's the Lord of all creation. He is the God who rides the clouds and sits over the circle of the earth. He's God Almighty. He's King of Kings. He's the only one for whom nothing is too hard. Everything there is, is His. He is light. He is love. He does all things well. The sea must obey His commands. The wind must cease at His word. He does battle with hailstones and fire and asteroids and meteors. He binds Satan at His word. He condemns angels who betray Him to hell. He can raise up kings and He can set them down. He humbles the proud and He exalts the humble. He gives strength to the weak and He lifts up the downtrodden. He has a perfect love that casts out all fear. And He is your, my Abba Father. And from now on, pray and live like all of those things are true. For because of Christ, they are. Somebody say, Amen. I'm running out of voice. We better pray. Father, again, we're thankful for this incredible, incredible manual for Christian living and belief. Thank you for the things we've learned along the way. Thank you for the way this thing closed, calling us to arms, so to speak. And Lord, we thank you that you have given us weapons of warfare. We thank you that they aren't dependent upon our fleshly abilities or carnal uh, nature, so to speak, Lord, but they are mighty in God. And Lord, I pray that we would employ them from now on and that we wouldn't just sit around waiting for you to move when you've told us to get moving. And Lord, that we would do the things that you have empowered us to do by the power you've given us to do them. And Lord, I pray that in answer to our cry, we would have an Acts 4.31 experience today that lasts until the rapture. That we speak the word of God boldly and with confidence, no matter the consequence. Lord, even if chains await us, as Paul said, that you, the Spirit, revealed to him that in every city chains awaited him, but he said, none of these things move me. And Lord, I pray that we're not moved because we've got a governor who hates the church. I pray that we're not moved because we have an administration who sees the, the value, at least in his demented mind, of killing children inside the womb as being beneficial to women. Lord, I pray that we're not moved off course because evil is advancing in our day and around the world. But Lord, I pray we take up arms today and that we preach Jesus and Him crucified, which is the only one that can change the mind of those demented and debased in places of power today. And Lord, that we'd quit showing up at the gunfight with a knife and we would start showing up with the Word of God that divides down to the joint and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And Lord, I pray today we would just have a passion and a zeal for preaching Jesus in this lost and dying world. For Lord, we know and believe and have seen and experienced that it's only your son that can turn things around. So Lord, we know the last days are filled with perilous times and people are lovers of themselves and haters of God and all the other things that Paul described for us. But may not those things move us off course. May we stand fast, having done all to stand, girded about with the truth of your word and all that is attached to that. So we thank you once again for this time in your matchless word. Empower us. Shake us up today. Shake this place today, God. Stir us up to love and good works. Make us bold for Jesus like never before. I pray, Lord, that we cannot be silent. Not only that we would not be silent, but that we cannot be silent. Help us to understand more fully who we are in Jesus. So we thank you for these things. We bless you. We honor you. We give you all glory in Jesus' name. And all God's people shout it. Amen. Amen. Listen, I just I want to encourage you um, to do what we've been talking about. I mean, that was kind of the whole point of today. You know, we, we 
sit around and, and, and we want God to do things. And, and he does. Yeah. Amen. He does. Yeah. he does. There are certain things that only he can do, like change the human heart. But you have to remember, we're the method he chose by which to communicate to the world. Yeah. Listen, the angel preaching the everlasting gospel in the midheaven, that's in the tribulation. You don't want to see that. Right? So until that angel is employed, along with 144,000 Jews, to preach the gospel during the tribulation, guess who he called to do it? The church. All of us. So we've got to get out there. It's the only hope for not just America, but for the world. Man, he's coming. He is coming. Uh, just watching all the things happening in our world today, just this screwy of things that, that, that people think and believe, and they, and they get mad and even defend them, and they're wacky things, crazy things, things that have to be the end result of being given over to a debased mind to do things which aren't fitting, which is the end of the moral digression of Romans chapter 1. Listen, we're there. Jesus is coming. So we have to be bold. And, and let me encourage you, you know, maybe you've got somebody that's in your family that you love and and are desperate for them to come to know Christ. Well, I told them a hundred times, make it 101. Yeah. And then 102. And then 103. Listen, do you believe the Bible? Yes. Do you believe we're in the last days? Yes. Do you believe the rapture could happen at any moment? Yes. Do you believe the tribulation's after the rapture? Yes. So that means you're living around people who are going to go into the tribulation. So it doesn't matter if they reject your message. I mean, obviously it matters to them, and they're going to see things they wish they never would have. But we have to remember in the parable of the soils, what was the sower called to do? <laughs> Scatter seed, right? Yes. Did God say, you know what, you threw it in the wrong direction? No, no he said, you know what, some of it's going to land in the rocks, some in the thistles and thorns. But you know what, when you're just out there scattering seed all over the place to anybody and everybody, some's going to land on good soil. Yeah. And, you know, some of those seeds are going to bear fruit in the tribulation. Because there's going to be people that miss the rapture. You know what? That weird neighbor of mine, they're gone. And they told me they were going to be gone. And they told me some guy's going to rise up and say, take a mark of your hand or forehead or you can't conduct business or go to the grocery store or buy gas. And somebody's trying to do that. And, and you know what? They told me I need to read the Bible. I mean, come on, think about this. This isn't some bizarre scenario that maybe could happen in a sci-fi movie. This is coming. Just start throwing those seeds. Just tell people, hey, Jesus loves you. God loves you. He wants to save you. He sent his son into the, oh, don't give me your Jesus stuff. Well, believe me, when we're out and this world is a mess, they're going to be thinking about that Jesus stuff that we were sharing with them. I believe it could happen today. I want it to happen today, don't you? <laughs> Somebody told me at the door, some guy he was just like almost in tears. I'm so sick of this place. I just want to go home. I'm with you, brother. I want to go home too. But listen, before that moment in the twinkling eye experience, <clears throat> get it out there. Throw it out there, amen? Because you just never know. Somebody just might get saved. Amen. Would you all stand?